If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Guess what? Now you don't have to drive over the border into Virginia to fire up FanDuel or DraftKings on your phone to make a sports bet. Which people do. Which, yes, people do that. Especially if you're out. I mean, it's not that far. You just hop on I-85. You go north, and you just go right into the border because it's geofence. You literally just cross over the border. You get to that first rest stop like a mile in, if, if that, into the state of Virginia. Make bets there. Turn around. Come back. Boom. That's it. That's all you got to do. Or if you're in the triad, just go north on US-29. You're right there in Danville, which has a casino now. Mm. One step at a time. So, yeah, one step at a time, which casinos might become here in the, in the state of North Carolina, not just on native uh, native lands, but potentially in other places here in the state. That's all part of this, this bill potentially as well. But Governor Roy Cooper signed into law today. Sports betting being legal. That's the first thing we hit. First thing here on Hit It and Quit, and again, sports betting bill signed by Governor Roy Cooper no later than one year from today. No later. No later than one year from today. But hopefully earlier. We'll get into that here in a second. But no later than one year from today, sports betting will be legal in the state of North Carolina. Now, the target date is January 8th. Reason for that is you want to start legalized sports betting on a major event day. For example, when Massachusetts legalized sports gambling, they did it on opening day of the Major League Baseball season. January 8th, College Football National Championship game. So if you legalize sports betting on the day of the College Football National Championship game, you're going to get a large influx of bets. You're going to get a large influx of money. Plus as well, that's also six months potentially of revenue that the state of North Carolina can generate that you can miss out on if you wait until yeah. June 14th of next year as opposed to January 8th this upcoming year. Well, so you want to do it on a major day. And that whole chunk of time, like it's it's massively popular for just big sporting events in general. Yes. The, the playoffs for the NFL, Super Bowl follows it shortly. Uh, it, it just it keeps on going. You take that momentum, you ride it into, say, March, March Madness. Madness. ACC it, it basketball just, tournament, March Madness, all that stuff. It just – that – from purely from a the perspective of what would be best, that would be the best time. However, there's still about six, seven months uh, that the the lottery commission has to figure out exactly how to make this work. I think they've already been working on it. Is I, my I guess. Hope so. I, I, if you're not like, oh, let's get started on this, then you're obviously way behind. They've been anticipating this for a while. They're probably anticipating this last yeah, there, year. There were major rumblings that it was going to happen last year. Roy Cooper, governor of the state of North Carolina, talked about the legislation benefiting sports teams, as well as the state as a whole. This legislation will help these professional teams to grow even more and to thrive and attracting more of them. We've still got some holes we need to fill in the professional sporting arena. It will also provide great paying jobs for our state. It will attract capital and help our economy grow. And it will benefit North Carolina taxpayers by giving them 
a portion of the earnings. I think the portion of the earnings there in particular, just kind of give an example here, PBS put out an article at the beginning of May looking at the five-year mark of the legalization of this kind of sports betting in the United States. Uh, and sports betting taxes on operators during that time generated $3.6 billion, $3 billion for state and local governments, $570 million for the federal government. That's so, a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Um, so just purely when you look at that, okay, that's money now that would be coming back to the people in the state of North Carolina. And it's also how it affects the teams, the venues where the physical sports books can take place. Uh, across the state, things like uh, you know a Spectrum over in Charlotte, Bank of America Stadium, uh, PNC Arena here, Wakeman Soccer Park, all of these places have the ability to now say, hey, sports book time, let's put in the resources, let's construct what we need to to create a place for people to come and place bets. Plus as well, if you look at the money that the, the teams will make from this, it yeah. also does a couple of things as well is because this is also part of league-generated revenue, mm -hmm. uh, potentially as well with naming rights and things along those lines, which would also help boost salary caps and things like that too. But also that money into the team can improve the facilities that they have at PNC Arena for the players. The the practice facility that they put in, uh, Wake Med Soccer, uh, Wake Med, um, Invisalign Arena, yeah. Wake Competition Center out there by the airport in Morrisville, that's a fantastic facility. I've been out there before. It's a great facility. But if you can also improve the facility you have at PNC Arena, it benefits the players on the ice as well. So in terms of just what they can do training-wise and things along those lines, it could, it could benefit them in that regard. So again, this could potentially also help indirectly with the products that we see on the ice or on the field with our pro sports teams. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. Tell them to bring me my money. Yeah! You can bring the Vegas, Vegas Golden Knights their money. They won 9-3 yesterday, clinching the Stanley three. Cup. They just straight went through the Florida Panthers in the turnbuckle, just started putting the boots to them, went full Stone Cold Steve Austin, stomping mud holes into them. 9-3. They win the series four games to one beatdown by a Vegas team just six years into their existence, Luis Fernandez. I mean, just six years in. I'm trying to think of expansion teams that have had that kind of success that quickly. I mean, obviously the Hurricanes, a lot of success winning the Stanley Cup so early. Well, well they're, they're, expansion, they're a relocation. Right. They're, they're a relocation. relocation. That's so, different. I mean, that's not even that. Like, I mean, this is the equivalent of the you know Panthers winning a Super Bowl in the early 2000s, essentially. Yeah. Like, you know, the Houston Texans getting it done in, like, the mid-aughts. Like, it's a, so the Golden Knights, congrats to them for being able to pull Absolutely. this together. Um, but one thing to keep in mind for the Florida Panthers, obviously they had an amazing run this postseason. I know Carolina Hurricanes fans are still a little upset with what the Panthers did to them in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, however, one guy who learned, earned a lot of respect was, was Matthew Kachuk. Uh, for how he performed, the points he had throughout, just not this postseason, but the season as a whole, and the injuries that he faced. Uh, in fact, uh, Paul Maurice uh, talks a little bit more about the sternum injury that Chuck played through uh, earlier in that series. The next day after the full game that he played off, it, he was, I mean, he, he didn't dress himself for the game. Somebody helped him get his gear on. Somebody tied his skates. Somebody put a sweater on for him. Uh, but the next day when he came in, he was in significant pain. So there wasn't really a question on whether he'd be able to play or not. So in game three in Florida, Matthew Kachuk, a game that they won, Matthew Kachuk 
suffered a fractured sternum. A fractured sternum. A fractured sternum. Like, that would just put people in bed. Just would just put people in bed. But, again, Ugh. he played in game four. And as, as Paul Maurice, former Carolina Hurricanes head coach, and now current Florida Panthers head coach, said, yeah, dudes had to tie his skate. Like, someone had to tie his skates for him. Someone had to help him put on his uniform, help put on his jersey, help put on his pads, all that kind of stuff. And he still went out there and played game four. Now, he didn't play much. Like, there was actually, like, there was a stretch for about 10 and a half minutes in the third period of that game where he didn't play, but he played late, played some shifts late because the team needed to try and, and win that game. They lost that game 3-2. to two. And yet, Paul Maurice did also say that he had the best scoring chances probably of the team the whole game because he's so, so smart and knows how to move around the ice. But, yo, talk about built differently. I mean, it's ridiculous. Built differently. So, a lot of players in the NHL, what they do game day is they'll take, like, an early afternoon nap, somewhere around, like, 2 o'clock, something along those lines. They'll take a nap before they actually come to the arena because you have a morning skate, eat, take a nap, get ready for the game, you have your coffee, you go, in, you go. John Butchagross of ESPN tweeted out earlier today that apparently Brady Kachuk, the brother of Matthew Kachuk, who plays for the Ottawa Senators, Brady does, had to help him get up out of bed on game four, the day of game four, had to help him get up out of bed. And that dude still went out there and played, man. I'm like, hockey players, this Matthew Kachuk, guys just built differently. I mean, I, I, I mean, pure respect to that guy. Yeah, I if I if I have a head cold, I don't want to go into work. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here, here, Matthew Kachuk is with an, an injury that makes you go, huh? Like how? Like just imagining your sternum fracture. And he's, he's out there still playing in the Stanley Cup final. And there, there are other guys that were dealing with injuries. And here's the thing. We've just come to expect this now with uh, with NHL guys. Paul Maurice also revealed, uh, again, Matthew Kachuk fractured his sternum in Game 3. Also, Aaron Ekblad, defenseman, played through a broken foot, also popping his shoulder twice and tearing his oblique. He said some players may not be ready for the start of next season because the start of next season for NHL teams is – Three months. Yeah, this is what this is what a Stanley Cup run can really do f- to you. Mm-hmm. Is that you don't get any time in the offseason to actually recover and then get yourself physically ready to do that all over again. Yes, this is actually where I think it actually uh, we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning make it three straight years to the Stanley Cup Finals is because 2020 they did it, but that was a shortened season because of the bubble with COVID and all that stuff. And then 2021 season was a shortened season, and they were able to get to a Stanley Cup Final. And then last season, and they won both of those championships, and they were able to get to a Stanley Cup final last year, and they eventually lost to the Colorado Avalanche. I actually feel like the shortened season helped a veteran team like the uh, like the Tampa Bay Lightning because of those reasons. But go 82 games and then go through all this. I mean, it, like let's say, just do the math really quick. Mm-hmm. Let's say you do a seven-game series, obviously the most you could play in each of the rounds. Seven, 14, 21, 28. On top of the 82 games. On top of the 82 games. That's that's, so that's a lot. That's potentially 110 games played. Now, Matthew Kachuk this season in his first year with the Florida Panthers, 99 games played, 51 wow. goals, 82 assists, so 133 points in 99 games, 10 game-winning goals, including a few against the Carolina Hurricanes, at a plus 41 rating. He's pretty good. As the kids like to say, got that dog. Got, got that dog in him. Let's quit that. Let's hit this. Never lost. Gains this offseason. Big question. Now, 
We mentioned Matthew Kachuk. The Florida Panthers made a pretty big, bold move to go get him from the Calgary Flames. They traded away two of their biggest pieces. And Jonathan Huberto, who had a 100-point season himself for Florida the year before, getting traded to Calgary. And Mackenzie Weger, who was a plus 44 player on defense, Mm -hmm. traded those guys away and first-round pick and some other parts to get Matthew Kachuk. Are you willing to make that bold move? Carolina Hurricanes, are they going to make a bold move? Well, time time will tell in regards to that, but Tom Dundon, owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, said what priority number one is, and that's Sebastian Ajo. Look, of all the things you've asked me about, the one that I know gets done now is Ajo. Okay. Like he wants, he's, the, he's such a great kid. He wants to be here. We've been working on it, um, you know. Yeah, that one, that one I feel really good about, um, better than all the other questions you've asked me. I'll say that. <laughs> okay, so you listen to the full conversation between Adam Gold and Tom, Dun- Tom Dundon on the Best of 90, um, the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast. He was asked about other guys like Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, other guys who are in the final year of their contract, like Sebastian Ajo is. Also free agents, Freddie Anderson, Auntie Ronta, and Gold. But Sebastian Ajo is one of the faces of your franchise, and I will say is your best player. Yep. He's one of, again, him and him and Svechnikov, your two best dudes, the faces of your franchise. You want those guys locked up long term. Svechnikov still has six years left on his contract. There you go. You can sign Aho to an eight-year extension this offseason on top of the one year he still has left on his deal. You can lock him up for the rest of his career. From from a team building perspective, mm-hmm. when you can essentially know for a fact that over X number of years, so let's say six years in this case that you were going to have two of your best pieces locked in, coupled together, Yeah, that's massive because then you can shape, you know exactly what you're doing. You can move with a purpose. If you want to go out and make a big move and get someone to come in, you know exactly who they're complimenting and what kind of uh, player they're coming in to play alongside of. It, it's big. It's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, why why wait to get it done tomorrow when you can do it today? Get Sebastian Ajo locked up early. I don't think that you can officially announce or sign the deal until July 1st, which is when free agency begins, because that's when the he officially enters the final year of his contract, is at the start of the new league year and all that. But July 1st is free agency. We're we're two weeks away yeah. from the start of, of NHL free agency. Just before that is the NHL draft. Now, the NHL draft... It's actually oftentimes where we see a lot of trades get made. Uh, we actually, uh, Chris Lee and I spoke to Don Waddell not that long ago. It was last week, actually, and we talked about the offseason trades and things along those lines. But he mentioned in his end-of-the-year press conference that before they look into free agency, they're going to look at the trade market first. Now, an article up by The Athletic earlier this week actually listed a bunch of potential trade pieces across the NHL. High on that list, potentially defenseman Brady Shea. Mm-hmm. High on that. I'm sorry, not Brady Shea. My apologies. Brett Pesci. Mm. My apologies. Defenseman Brett Pesci. High on that list. Brett Pesci's in the final year of his contract. He's 28 years old, makes just a shade over $4 million a season. So the value of his contract is good. Again, just a one-year deal, but he's a right-handed shot defenseman that can play in your top four, which is what a lot of teams covet. Depending on what he wants to do with his future in terms of does he want to stay in Carolina, like that's 100% up to him. I have no problem with someone that might want to sign with another team or get a better offer somewhere else. Zero issue with that. You go make your money. Yeah. Uh, but that's a potential trade piece. That's the name that's floating around out there a lot is, is a guy like Brett Pesci. Is Brady Shea. Also in the final year of his contract, makes about five and a quarter million dollars. Again, final year of his contract, 28, 29 years old. Who knows? Um, but 
Don Waddell did say they'll look to explore trades first before dabbling into free agency. And, and that's something that the Hurricanes under Waddell have, have shown they have no problem doing and getting involved in those trades. Yeah, they wouldn't trade it for Brent Burns last year. Yeah, They even traded a few years ago and they traded Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm up to Calgary to get uh, – to get Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. As part and they also got uh Michael Furlan. Yes. As well. And they also got the rights to Adam Fox, who said he didn't want to play in Carolina, and they flipped him over to the New York Rangers, and Adam Fox is one of the best defensemen in the league. Nevertheless, anyway. It's a big offseason. By the way, because the Stanley Cup season's over, we already got to look into next season in terms of Stanley Cup odds. Betting odds, mm. which we can make bets on coming up. Sometime in 2024. Eventually. But Eventually. Put a, put a futures bet down on the Hurricanes the second it goes through. There you exactly. go. Exactly. Well, the betting odds for next season to win the Stanley Cup, the Bruins, the leaders at 8-1. to one. Sure. I, I don't see them winning it because of their age of, the, of much of the roster. Kane's 11-1 to one odds. That's pretty to close. To win the Stanley Cup. 11-1 to one odds to win the Stanley Cup. They also have Toronto Maple Leafs 10-1 to one odds to win the Stanley Cup, which is like, oh, because you, you – fi- congrats. You yeah. finally won a playoff series for the first time in over 20 years, yeah. and all of a sudden you're 10-1 to one odds to win the Cup. Get out of here. Well, these, Don't make that bet. That's just wasting money. A lot of times with these odds, you, you always see like those kind of big market, big-name teams. They're always placed higher than you probably think. Some of that's yeah. because people just – that's where a lot of people are from. They'd be making, placing bets there, all that kind of stuff. So, but, but it's, you know, I always kind of view it as I don't want to be the team that is at the top of the odds to win championships. I want to be the team that's a couple of, a couple of names down. But they're about four or five names down, roughly around that there time. There you go. Let's quit that. Let's hit this. Bring me Zion Williamson. Zion. Bring me Zion Williamson. When he gets traded to the Charlotte Hornets, I want him at PNC Arena sounding the siren as well for a Canes game. That's what I want to see. Now, why am I saying this, Luis Fernandez? Well, by all accounts, the New Orleans Pelicans, who have the 14th overall pick in this year's draft, which is on Thursday next week, literally one week from tomorrow is the the NBA draft. Pelicans have the 14th pick. Charlotte Hornets have the second pick. Victor Wembanyama is going to go number one overall to the uh, to the San Antonio Spurs. Done deal. Done. It's set in stone. But if you want Brandon Miller, or in this case, the New Orleans Pel- New Orleans Pelicans apparently want Scoot Henderson, mm. who played in the G League Ignite. If you want Scoot Henderson, you want a guarantee that you get him. You got to go all the way up to number two. Now, according to Brian Windhorse. Former number one overall pick Zion Williamson might be available. Pelicans have had some cursory discussions from what I've been told. There haven't been any offers uh, made necessarily yet, but it makes you really not take too far of a leap to wonder if the, and the league is certainly wondering if the Pelicans are going to make for the first time truly Zion Williamson available ahead of next week's draft to get up to that level in the, in the top five. You'd have to consider a player of this caliber. Um, he's obviously had injury history, a little bit of offseason drama recently. Um, so I don't know if anything's going to truly develop there, but I think it's fair to say, based on my conversations, there's, a, there's an eye being kept towards whether the Pelicans would make Zion Williamson available ahead of trying to get into that top, top end of the draft. I'm going to go full Agent Smith from the Matrix right here. I need the codes to Zion. <laughs> Give me Zion. I want Zion. Look, I get the injury history. I understand that. But, bro, if I can get Zion as opposed to Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, I'm making that move. The, the NBA, I feel like, is always interesting when it comes to, like, drafting and rookies coming in because mm-hmm. it's a little bit difficult to to predict at times. There's You only have so many picks. You're, you're not really adding, like, a whole lot of rookies 
you know each year. But when you have the potential to get a known commodity like in, in Zion, and like you said, the injuries are definitely a problem. Um, you know, it's, it, part of me it almost feels like he may just need a change of scenery. Like to be completely honest, and you have giving him the opportunity to come as close to home as he's gonna get yeah. in the NBA, as close as possible. Then he's only a couple hours down the road from where he was at Duke. I mean, it, to me, if if you can do it, you go get it done. Uh, you need to take a swing for for the fences. You need to risk it for the biscuit. You need to do everything you can to try and get Lamelo to stay in Charlotte as long as possible. Imagine, mm-hmm. imagine the transition alleys from Lamelo <sighs> to Zion. The thought of that just excites me. It, By the way, he signed a five-year, hundred ninety-four billion-dollar contract this offseason, so he's locked up for the next five years as Zion Williamson. So. Brandon Ingram's name was also floating around out there as well. Brandon Ingram, about to turn 26 years old, also has an injury history to himself as well, but he only has two years left on his contract. It would, would also be a good consolation prize there if you oh, can't get down to getting sure. Brandon Ingram. But, but there, yeah. are, there are a lot of questions when it comes regarding that, but I trade Zion. I trade the number two pick for Zion and the 14th pick. If I have to also have to include... My three second rounders or my pick number 27 in this year's draft, fine. Hey, also, by the way, New Orleans, you take Gordon Hayward's contract off my books, too. Yeah. Do it's, that. The, the Hornets are in a very good position because they are going to be getting a really good player for that pick in yeah. some way, shape, or form. If you want Scoot Henderson, any other team in the NBA, you got to go to number two to get him. Or if you want Brandon Miller, you got to go to number two to get him. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. He's a machine! That machine is Brian Burns, the defensive end slash outside linebacker now with a 3-4 scheme. Agent Zero. Agent Zero. I know also a huge Spider-Man fan also gets me excited regarding that. Well, Brian Burns has been uh, recovering from an offseason ankle surgery, hasn't been participating in OTAs. Mandatory minicamp is going on right now. He's still there. He's present, but he's not doing any of the full workouts. He's just rehabbing and getting himself ready to go for the upcoming season. But Brian Burns talked about the young quarterback QB1 Bryce Young. It's hard not to like that kid. Um, I don't know. He he put he put quite a stamp on on on, uh, on the locker room. Uh, he walks around with this kind of kind of humble. Excuse my language. Like humble, but I know him like type of type of swag. You know what I'm saying? Like he he know he got it, but he humble with it, and he's always like, no, nah, he's always happy. I don't know. It's <laughs> I mean, ain't nothing to be, really be mad about, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, it's hard not to like that kid. He's a good kid. <laughs> He's always happy. He's always happy. But, I, you know, it's the uh, – there's that that humble confidence, for lack of a better term, that apparently Bryce Young is displaying, according to Brian Burns, of, like – he knows that he's that good, but he's not going to boast about it. Yeah. He's still going to go out there and do his work and do his job and all that. Like, There's one thing you hear from players sometimes, like, dance around a question about a player. Like, they say the right things in terms of, oh, yeah, like, you know, this young kid, this rookie, you know, he's he's working hard, diving into the playbook, you know, great work ethic, all that stuff, you know, and uh, just like those, speaking of those generalities. We hear Brian Burns and other veteran guys going like, yeah, there's something different about this guy. Yeah. That, to me, speaks volumes. Because, again, it's not the the stereotypical of, oh, yeah, he's working hard. He's going through his rookie growing pains. But, you know, he's working hard and, you know, he's uh, asking questions, doing all the stuff that you expect. When he says, yeah, he's he's got that dude quality about him, 
speaks a lot. Place his stamp on the locker room already. Yeah. Which there aren't that many opportunities to place your stamp on this locker room at when this point. you haven't point. even played a game. No. OTAs, uh, minicamp's pretty short. You haven't even gotten to training camp, and you're already having that opportunity. Uh, but I, I, you know, I don't think anyone at least anyone who has any kind of intelligence is worried about Bryce Young and his intangibles, that mm-hmm. leadership quality. He, like, growing up, he goes to all the camps. He, he's he's the prime example of that, that quarterback now who has gone through all the different steps you do just growing up within football, going to the camps, learning from all the best, breaking records in high school, doing all that stuff. Like, he was, like, made in, like, a, a lab for this moment to yeah. be this guy. Uh, so now it's about just translating that onto the field. But, you know, like to, if you can have the respect of, of Brian Burns, you, you're going to have the respect of the entire Panthers team, which, you know, if you want to have success as a rookie, that's going to be a great place to start. All right, let's quit that. Let's hit this. Uh, final thing here, Christian McCaffrey, former Carolina Panther, now San Francisco 49er running back. Uh, a story by David Lombardi really touching situation involving Christian McCaffrey and, and unfortunately a, a passing of a young kid. Yeah, so uh, David Lombardi did a great story. Read it on The Athletic. Would really recommend it. Um, about Christian McCaffrey and his relationship to a, a young man named uh, Logan Hale. Uh, Hale was born in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. Always been a big Christian McCaffrey fan. Um, he, he ended up passing away um, right around the end of 2021. Um, on Christmas Day 2021, according to you know uh, the the article from Lombardi. He had a uh, a dosage of Tylenol exasperated an ulcer in his body mm. and essentially sent him into cardiac arrest and into a coma. He was a huge Christian McCaffrey fan, uh, and McCaffrey, hearing about this through his marketing agents, uh, sent a video uh, his way. It got it got to him the day after uh, Christmas on uh, Logan's thirteenth birthday. Uh, he was unconscious at this point, but they played the video for him and he showed physical reactions while in his coma. He mm-hmm. started to cry, according to his mom. Um, and he, he shortly passed away a, a few days later, but didn't really have much brain activity past that point. Um, so his mom in the article, this line here is amazing, is uh, those were really the last signs of life that we saw. Um, I think the last words he heard were from Christian McCaffrey. And then days later, he was buried in a Christian McCaffrey jersey, uh, which is just, I think, a great example of how athletes and just sports figures in general have the ability to touch on people. And mm-hmm. and since then, w- one of the things that, that Logan really was upset about was the fact that the kids had to wait in line while in the hospital to play video games. He wanted people to kind of be able to come together more. And Christian McCaffrey is, has essentially kind of taken up that mantle and added it to his other phil- philanthropic works. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's those kind of relationships that I think are so important. And it's, it is a, it is a, a dark, somber note to end Hit It and Quit It on, but... I do think it's important, and, and I, I think, obviously, the Panthers, I'm sure they wish that Christian McCaffrey was still on the team, but nice to have him as one of your you know all-time greats in franchise history. Whether, whether you want it to be or not, you're a role model yep. as an athlete, plain and simple. And uh, to see McCaffrey touched and moved uh, in that regard, uh, an unfortunate passing of a young kid, a young kid it's just uh, – it, it, it tugs on the strings. It does. Thank you for listening to the Best of the Drive podcast. I'm Tim Donnelly here with Coach Pete of Capital Financial Advisory Group. Coach, is it still true that a million is enough to retire on? Tim, maybe and maybe not. The most important thing is to get a real plan that gives you income you never outlive. We'll give that away to the next 10 people. Call right now. 
The number to call, 800-691-3215. Text TIM to 600-700 if you're interested in texting. Once again, that phone number is 800-691-3215 or text TIM to 600-700 for that deal. Do you believe me, Luis Fernandez? Oh? If I told you that the school in the ACC that pulled in the most total revenue was the University of Virginia. I would not. In but, 2022. But I also feel like you wouldn't lie to me, Dennis Cox. Well, we got numbers to prove this. So the USA Today, this is uh, put out an NCAA finances, a revenue and expenses by school. It's something, again, the USA Today put this out because these large public universities have to reveal this. They're public institutions. They're yeah. taking pa- taxpayer money. Now, a caveat with what the USA Today put out regarding these different numbers is the fact that you can't factor in private institutions. No. So they did a comparison the USA Today did of SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, these Power 5 schools in regards to the median amount of revenue generated for each school. One thing you couldn't factor in, again, was private institutions. They don't have to disclose that information because, again, private schools. Now, the ACC is unique compared to all those other conferences that I mentioned because the ACC has six, six private schools of their their 14 football members. You factor in Notre Dame, 15, because they're every other sport, you're looking at seven. Whereas the Big Ten, you got Northwestern. You got the (laughs) SEC. You've got Vanderbilt. I like, I like how you said you're like Northwestern. I'm like that's it. I'm like in the in the Pac-12, it's a little bit different because as of right now, you have USC, which is a private school, Stanford private school, everyone else is public. Yeah. Uh, so these are different things to keep in mind. But Luis Fernandez, you pointed out some pretty staggering differences, and the differences not only lie between conferences. But even schools within their conferences and the amount of total revenue that they generate is pretty staggering. Now, this goes beyond just the television revenue money yes. that we've been talking about with, with and recently with the grant of rights and the ACC and all that. But we're talking about total revenue generated by these schools in regards to not just media rights, but ticket sales, sponsorships, uh, endowments, whatever they, they might get from, from outside donors, whatever it might be. So... Again, there's a lot that goes into this more than just TV rights. Exactly. Um, and, and what's interesting, when you when you look at the big picture, right, because I know we, we love talking about how much money individual conferences are making or will be making. In 2022, the SEC's 13 public schools combined for $2.17 billion in total operating revenue. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. The Big Ten was right behind 13 public schools combined for $2.04 billion dollars in that revenue which is wild uh when you look at some of the more median type things so going based on uh the article here phrases it as using median values for their school's revenue rather than the averages the conference is ranked in the following order and that's sec was 159.1 million that's the median big 10 was 150 acc 134 pac-12 117 big 12 110, which is interesting because you wouldn't normally think that the Pac-12 would be fourth. You think they would be fifth. However, when you look at some of the other ways that they will make money, mm-hmm. when you look at the actual revenue actually generated by athletics departments, by athletics departments, SEC is 159, the most 203 for Alabama, the least 110 
for Mississippi State, $110 million, $203 million. So, yeah, we're talking about the money that nearly the $100 million dollar gap yeah. in the SEC itself. $203 million for Alabama, $110.7 million for Mississippi State. Now, that's the high and low. That's end. the high and low. But now let's look at the Big Ten, for example. Okay. $147.1 million was the median. Yeah. The range, Ohio State, $251.6 million. Jeez. Rutgers is the low end, $85.6 million. And then the ACC, $125.2 million. With the range, the highest, $151. Clemson, $151 million for Clemson. And then $94.8 million for Georgia Tech. And then you end up getting down to Pac-12, which is uh, $96.9 million mm-hmm. uh, in total. And it's just, it's wild thinking about these numbers kind of in the perspective of the, of the grand picture, the big the big thing, what we're looking at for college athletics, um, and how, just, just how much it truly uh, it favors the SEC and the Big Ten. So one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about this money generated, these are schools and their revenue some of these schools get a, har- a larger percentage of money from their universities in terms of student fees and how much that goes into athletics. Percent for example, yeah. for example, I, how I mentioned about the University of Virginia, right? University of Virginia brought in a total revenue of $161.9 million in 2022, but just under $24.5 million was allocated monies from the university in terms of student fees um, and things along those lines. So, again, every school just a- – makes things up in terms of how they want to go. But also you look in the Atlantic Coast Conference, you look at North Carolina generated $122.6 million in 2022. $9.6 million is what's coming from student fees. So that allocated money is just over just under 8%, whereas at the University of Virginia, you're looking at over 15%. So nearly a 2 to 1 ratio in terms of allocated money. NC State generated 102 million dollars in total revenue got seven million dollars from student fees so just under seven percent again that total allocated money that comes from the actual university itself so again the just we're talking about the the disparity that acc schools want to try and close that gap against the sec or the big 10 well look at rutgers i'm like i'm sorry Georgia, georgia tech's pulling in 10 million plus dollars more than rutgers is yeah Right now. So it's like even within conferences themselves, there's a massive disparity. Well, and and look at, too, I think this is part of when we talk about just why how important it is for the amount of money that these different athletics institutions, these athletics departments make. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Ohio State, for example, right? According to USA Today and the database that they've collected, uh, Ohio State has the, to- the highest total revenue of any athletics department in the country. $251 million. Mm-hmm. 0% is allocated. So that is money that they are making. It helps to have like really big stadiums, for example, that are constantly sold out. Hundreds, some odd thousand people coming in, paying tickets, getting concessions, all that stuff. Yeah. Their total expenses, $225 million. Yeah. Only two only two schools um, in the, the state, according to this database, had expenses more than $200 million. Ohio State and Texas. So they're not making nearly as much money as you think they would. They're not making $251 million in profit. They're stuck with about a $25 million difference there. And when you look at the database, most of these schools are hanging out right around a couple of million in terms of total profit. 
So here's the thing: they're 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 nonprofit status, so you have to spend a certain amount of what you're taking in because exactly. you're nonprofit status. Here's something to keep in mind as well that a lot of people don't realize in terms of the money that the the expenditures of money is that when a student is under scholarship, for example, a football player, yeah, that money is paid from the athletic department to the university. So it's not like the uni- the athletic department just goes up to the registrar's office and is like, hey, hey, here's our 85 football players, and they go into the registrar and be like, all right, let's just mark their payment zero. No, the athletic department has to pay the schools for that money, for those scholarships. So that's, again, where a lot of this stuff comes from in terms of money that's spent, quote-unquote. That money gets spent in terms of scholarships that, again, has to get paid to the university. That's something that people do not realize, that when you have graduate assistants that might be in, in graduate school, that kind of stuff, again, has to go to the university. Someone still has to pay that tuition. All right. Still, someone still has to pay that room and board. That's how that stuff works uh, in terms of the NCAA and all that, and, and just how schools operate. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 